Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, we are glad to be here this week with something we've been chasing for a while. Uh, Chuck and I have been after st- people uh, who work in corrections to come. Yeah, we, uh, we we wanted some people who work in corrections, and we actually got an, someone who was in corrections and not mm-hmm. as a <laughs> not yeah. as a, a corrections officer, but as an yeah. actual. He was a client. Uh, <laughs> client. Uh, right. Now we have a visitor. an actual service provider. <laughs> So, oh, man. Uh, yeah, that's cool. We, we've got that going on. Um, and uh, for those of you that uh, didn't last week, our episode came out on Tuesday instead of Monday. Uh, let me just tell you that uh, I, I would like to blame it on the Russians Russia. hacking Apple. Um, essentially, I, it didn't upload. I, I can't tell you why it didn't. It just the episode Russians. went live without audio attached to it. So I fixed it the following morning um but uh that's just a little behind the scenes information um for those of you and uh for those of you who are going to listen to i I guess or who listened to last week's locker room you got an update on uh what's been going on with uh with me and chuck uh personally but uh i did want to say for those of you that only listen to war stories we had a guest last week um He's a Northern California cop. And towards the end of the episode, we discovered that we lived close to each other. And, you know, we, we put our money where our mouth is. I actually hung out with him and uh, we got our families together. We threw some meat on the grill and watched Supercross and hung out in his man cave and, and, and drank. And, and the, the really nice thing, Chuck, is, as I told you off air, is that if one of us gets too shitty, we will be able to walk home. Yeah. So, it's a good, don't drink and drive. Don't drink and drive. Or just but, have a pregnant wife. Yeah, <laughs> designated driver. Yeah. Yeah. Have a kid that's not 21, but over 16. That's really perfect. Like you take them to all the parties and then you're like, okay, you're driving home here. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, cool. I get to go to fuck. I'm a DD. God damn it. Yeah, exactly. So, <clears throat> but uh, for this episode this week, uh, like we said, we've been, we've been looking for somebody who works corrections because corrections is a, a whole different animal. Um, it's it's very similar in a lot of the people that you deal with, but uh, very different in how you deal with them. So we wanted to welcome this week's guest. Uh, you go by Tank, is that correct? That's what the that's what the inmates call you. Yes, that's that's correct. <laughs> well, welcome <laughs> to the show, man. We we appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, and as you know, we usually start by uh, letting our guests kind of go over how they ended up. Uh, where they're at in their job, how long they've been there. So, so what's up with you, man? Tell us kind of about, I mean, with whatever specifics you want, you know, obviously we don't make people give away their agencies or where they work for OPSEC reasons or for their own, you know, CYA. I don't want fucking admin to crawl up my ass reasons, but uh, if you could tell us like how you got into corrections and how long you've been doing it. Well, I guess I could thank my grandfather for that. Since ever since I was young, I would go to his house after school and sit in his lap and we'd watch cops. And I said, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be me one day. I want to be a, I want to be a police officer anywhere. And then when I was about eight, I got busted by a game warden. And I said, I don't want to be a cop. I want to be a game warden. So I'm working on that right now, but 
it was just a, a passion I've always had. And finally, work construction bit the bullet and got my degree in criminal justice, put in at the first agency I could. They picked me up and putting in my time so I can get over to patrol. I'll tell you what, uh, being a gay born is no joke. We've talked about it on this show. You may not have to deal with the same kinds of people. Um, well, let me let me retract that. You may not have to deal with the same situations that deputy sheriffs or city cops or even state troopers have to deal with. But uh, number one, everyone you contact is pretty much armed. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and depending on the area you work. You might still come in contact with with gangsters and shit like that. Uh-huh. Or so, so really tweakers, tweakers hunt, gangsters fish. Like they, it's they don't. They, you know, just because you're a shitbird doesn't mean you don't have hobbies. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so you're working on uh, becoming a game warden now. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Well, I have full custody of my daughter, and mm-hmm. when you become a game warden, they tell you basically when you graduate the academy, hey. You're going to be stationed here. You're going to be stationed there. And I just didn't feel like it was right for my daughter to have to uproot and leave because my whole family's from this area and move halfway across the state. So I figured if I can get on the patrol and our department has a livestock division where they basically just go out and play cowboy all day. I said, I could, that's the job for me. And that's when she Yellowstone shit right there. Exactly. When she graduates yeah. college, I mean, high school, I'm going to put in and that'll be probably my retirement gig. So put in your 20 with your agency and then lateral over at 20, collect a pension from them and collect a salary from uh, fishing game, huh? Yes, sir. Nice. Double dip, triple dip. But hey, if you can get a civilian job and moonlight enough, you can collect Social Security unless your agency is actually put into Social Security, which I don't know. Some do, some don't. I'm not sure. I've only been here five months, but I know our retirement's really good. Yeah. My agency did not pay into Social Security at all. Um so the only social security I have comes from the fact that, you know, before I was on and uh, after I retired, I've had jobs that put in for social security. So some agencies do, some agencies don't. So you are currently uh, working towards getting on patrol, but as of right now, you, your, your full-time gig is in uh, the jail or the prison? The jail. Okay. And so if you can explain at least for, for your area and maybe for some of the listeners, cause I get this, all the time people go oh yeah i want to work at the local county prison i'm like the county the county doesn't have a prison so uh, if you want to explain to people the difference between prison and jail well from my understanding jail is where you go to either a serve out your sentence or b it's a stopping point till you get to prison right that's the way i like prison is for sentences over a year so yeah. if you're if you're convicted, jails can house you for over a year, but that's if yeah. your trial like like OJ, you know, and and the Onionfield trial and Manson and all those guys, their trials lasted, you know, the pretrial after their arrest, by the time they got convicted and went to prison, you know, that was like two, three years sometimes. So you can be yeah, in jail for two or three years. Yeah. And that's well, when you that. hear a judge say uh, credit for time served. Yeah. They're talking about the time that you have spent in jail counts towards your sentence. Right. So uh, prison, if you're going, if they say, you know, you're getting five years, you're going to prison. If they say you got six months, you're staying in jail. They had a, a guy 
I heard when we were in the academy, they were telling us like all these high profile people. This one guy, they said he had been there for 18 years because what he would do. Yes, sir. What he would do when he'd go to court, he'd fire his attorney. So they'd have to reset the trial. Uh, And so it just kept on and on and on until I guess one of my instructors said like a judge finally caught on to it and said, no, you're going to. We're going to nip this in the bud real quick. I'm getting you out of here. Caught, caught on to it after 18 years. 18 years. Christ. Right. <laughs> you guys are quick on that one. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, so our local jail had a whole section for uh, parolees who had violated parole, but their parole violation wasn't going to send them back to prison. And so they served their parole violation time at the jail yep. and through yep. agreements between the local jail and the prison, they'll, you know, that's that's a that's a prison inmate, essentially, because they are on a parole violation. And so instead of actually finding a way to send them all the way back to prison, they just now ah, you're doing a six month parole violation. You're going to do it in county jail. And, well, you know, then they work all that stuff out amongst themselves. I've even seen it in California where they serve longer than a year in jail, not not awaiting trial after and they get sentenced. Right. Everything. After they get They're sentenced. like. It's just crazy shit that they work out and they're like, ah, we're just going to keep them here because it's a year and six months and we're not going right. to send them to prison. And they're like, right. whatever. And you're like, you motherfucker. Right. Right. Whatever. Yeah. But see, ours, it's, it's, ours has a, we have three jails. Actually, we have four and they're broke. We, when I first got to the academy, we, it was at a, a place off site. We went there, did our, our two weeks of training or I'm sorry, three weeks of training. And then they brought us over with our containment team, which is like the guys who they basically labeled themselves as the SWAT team of the jail. And they walk around in the cool black uniforms and we worked with them for two weeks. We had, they had told us when our first day there, we get there and it's literally like two blocks of nothing but police cars, police officers and detention officers in that two blocks. We all, everybody in our class named it Cop City. Because if you did something in front of there, like you were definitely there's, you were going to get in trouble for it. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. But oh, we have broken up into three. It's uh, we have like the original, then we have a new one they just built, and then they have one off to the side that was basically like the weekenders where you would sleep off your DWIs or your drunk mm-hmm. public intoxication. But they moved those into one jail, turned that into an admin building. And then we have a place that is with another agency. It's the Joint Processing Center. Mm-hmm. That that's where they all go now. Yeah, and we had we had so we have some had something similar. We actually technically, I believe, you would consider it four different facilities. Uh, but we had uh, so the across the street from our jail was the men's colony, which was a very low um, low security prison, uh, but it was you know, part of the California state system. It was a prison. Then across the street, you had uh, the county jail, which consisted of the honor farm, which I think is what you're talking about. Very low risk inmates. They're there. They're, you know, doing their time. They've been good. And now they're allowed to go and work, you know, mow the lawn on the grounds. They they actually clean up the range because the range is the range, the sheriff's headquarters, all that stuff is all on the same property. So they're, they're do facilities, maintenance, all that kind of stuff. And do they have more privileges because they don't worry about them escaping? Uh, then they have the old jail, 
which is literally like, you know, the old bars, like you see San Quentin and you just see steel bars and Alcatraz with, you know, stone and catwalks and shit like that. That's the old jail. Then they had the new jail, which is the newer style, which, you know, glass, two double pane, bulletproof glass and cinder block with paint and rubber floors. And then they had the women's facility. And uh, so that's kind of how we worked. But, you know, uh, shoot, L.A. has it, uh, so many facilities. It's it's not even funny. Like so, there, there's facilities at a bunch of different stations. Then there's the county jail. Then there's the, the county detention facility in North County, the county downtown. I mean, it's just. Well, you have you have like three detention facilities, one fucking major one in L.A., one really major one that's like multiple stories tall, right. which is just houses, uh, you know, people with, you know, felony misdemeanor psychs and just shit like that uh, awaiting to go to um, county mm-hmm. um, and uh, those facilities. And then you have other areas that are a lot smaller that still house uh suspects right. and inmates and shit like that but they're only detention facilities but they can hold them for you know a couple days a few days and then they, they farm them out and then you have all these big county facilities that are massive that have you know they look like uh, you have super maxes and shit like yeah. that well yeah in, in north north county um in la county for for you know the sheriff's department um i visited Wayside, that area yeah. and they yeah uh nccf is what it's called and they they have a supermax there they have a bunch mm-hmm. of shit and i'm like supermax what the fuck this ain't no prison like no it, and you no because in, they they house like people they house people yeah. there that are no joke fucking supermax inmates and they have to keep them there until they're ready for trial or this that and the other thing so yeah so you work at the jail and uh you've experienced uh I, I guess quite a few things already because uh based on the messages you sent us i could i could tell that uh it, it doesn't take long when you're surrounded by nothing but shitheads, right? Like the 80, 20 rule doesn't apply. Police work. You say you deal with 20% of the population. You just deal with them 80% of the time. Well, yours is more like the 2080 rule. You deal with the, you know, like 80% of the people you deal with are shitheads. <laughs> exactly. So, so the floor is yours, man. We, we we're looking forward to some of the crazy shit that, uh, you experienced in the jail. So please tell us what's your story. So I've been there maybe five, six months now. And anytime I tell stories to someone, they ask, Hey, what's going, what's it like inside the jail? I tell them. And by the time I'm done, they're like, how do you put up with that? I said, well, you know, I kind of have to, to follow my dreams to be on patrol. Well, the first use of force I ever had, a lady came. I, I worked the female floor. We have a floor dedicated just to females and nobody likes to work it. And that's where I got my assignment. So I start working. I've been there maybe two months and go in one morning and an inmate comes up to the window and she starts punching on the glass. And I was like, what can I do for you? She goes, <laughs> I made bell. So I need to be out of here right now. Y'all are fucking keeping me against my will y'all are false imprisoning me you need to get me the hell out of here i said okay ma'am i'm gonna tell you how bell works it takes anywhere from eight to 72 hours to process once that happens we will get a phone call and they will tell us hey you're getting out of here we'll escort you down there i said because as long as you're in here that's one more person i gotta take care of i said the quicker i can get you out of here i'll do it right i don't want you here any longer than i need to have you here Exactly. Right. She didn't want to hear that. And my partner was sitting there and 
he said, ma'am, you need to, you need to bring it down. And she goes, fuck you, fat ass. Well, that, that kind of triggered him. So he took the cardboard, stuck it back in the window. And he said, to hell with her. And I said, go pop the door. I'm going to go in there and, and try to explain it to her and get her to calm down because I have a way of talking to people that it's like that. So I go in there and she wasn't having none of it. She got right up in my face and she's pointing, swiping her hand around. I could feel the wind hitting my face. And then she took a step towards me and she tried to check me. Well, I threw her from the vestibule into the showers and she took off running right back at me. <laughs> How so far is that? It's probably about 20 feet. So the sergeant on the north side comes out of her office and goes, what the hell is going on? And I explained to her and she told me, you know, all right, tried to explain it to the inmate. Inmate wasn't having none of it. So she told me, she goes, hey, tank, back out. So when I went to turn around, the inmate took off towards me and she stuck her hand out to kind of stop her. That inmate grab, I saw her, the inmate grab her right elbow. And I was like, nope, you done, you done messed up. And I <laughs> yeah. picked her up, I picked her up, but that, that pod I worked, I told him when I got in there, there was a troubled pod and me and my partner that I normally have, we got it under control. And I went in and I said, look, ladies, I got two rules, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. And on the back of my radio pouch, I have a patch that says FAFO. And I, and I told them, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, and FAFO. And they said, what's FAFO? I said, fuck around and find out. Attaboy. So when they, when she grabbed the Sarge's arm, I said, nope. I turned around, I grabbed her biceps, and I put her into the wall. I then put my elbow, I mean, my bicep under her jaw because she was trying to bite my shoulder. And I pinned oh, that her that was there. nice of her. Well, at that point, everybody came on the floor. When we got her up there, I got her, I got one cuff on her. She just drops her body weight and pulls us all to the floor. Now this lady was like maybe five foot four and a hundred pounds, but it took five of us to get her under control. Cause when she got her on the ground, she started kicking. And one of my partners said, Hey, I'm not leaving until I'm not getting up until y'all get leg irons. So after a five minute search for leg irons, it clicked in my head. Hey, when you get off duty, run down the run down to the store and grab you a set of leg irons. So we get her in leg irons and we take her out. They told us to meet in the sergeant's office, and Sarge was like, "Yeah, she said she posted bond, right?" I was like, uh, yeah, "Correct." She goes, "Well, I'm looking at it right now, and..." Uh, She's got 15 counts of possession and manufacturing of uh, a controlled substance. Nah, she ain't going nowhere. Oh, you mean she didn't post $5 million in bond? No. no. That's fucking... She ain't going nowhere. One of my partners goes, hey, I'm going to go in there. I'm going to break the news to her. I said, what are you going to tell her? He goes, well, since she grabbed our sergeant that she grabbed was actually came from patrol and then came into the jail... She now got charged with uh, assault on a peace officer. So he goes, I'm going to go tell her, hey, her bond posted, but she's going to be spending a little more time with us for assault on a peace officer. Well, she didn't like that. For about five hours, it was her just screaming at the top of her lungs. And you could hear it throughout the whole hallway. And I was like, well, I don't know if uh, 
I don't know if she's going to be able to talk in court because she was literally screaming at the top of her lungs. And I, I guess that was the, that was the moment I knew like, okay, this isn't like a normal job. Like that's the song. <laughs> that's the song of prison and, and the song of jails. Every time I walk into a fucking jail facility, I, I always hear that houses women. I always hear a female screaming at the top of her fucking lungs and then gah, 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 and you yeah. hear the banging on the fucking uh, steel door and the, and the fucking bulletproof glass. And you just hear it rattling back and forth like drums. And you're like, ah, oh, this is all I think of right now is a sitcom where it's like, At that moment, I knew that the job was not what I thought it was. <laughs> exactly. And sometimes, sometimes I go in and they're perfect. Like, I couldn't ask for better inmates. Like, I, I got them to where I would walk in and they would go 12, 12, and then they'd see me come out of the doorway and they'd go, oh, shit, big 12, big 12. And I was oh. like, I asked them, I said, why do y'all, why do y'all say 12? And nobody yeah, could give me fuck a Fuck 12. Well, fuck nobody police. Everybody just says it. And I was like, so you're going to be like everybody? Everybody goes and jumps off a bridge? You're going to go jump off a bridge? No. But I got, like it a I got it to where I walked in and they're, they're, they, you know, morning tank. How's your day tank? Because I, I told a new guy who came in right after me. He saw me interacting with him. And he was like, dude, how did you get him to, you know, come up and talk to you and stuff? And I was like. You got to be friendly and you got to be respectful because in the end, they are people. They're just like us. And like I tell them, you know, the difference between you and me is we've both done stupid shit. You just got caught. I said, but it doesn't mean I got to come in here and degrade you and make you less than a person because you're still a person. No matter what you did. I mean, yeah, I'm going to have preconceived judgments on you, but. It's. I don't know. I'm going to treat you the way you act. Well, exactly. you act like an animal. Yeah. I'm going to treat you like an animal. You act like a person. I'm going to treat you like a person. And I told them, I said, if y'all can give me an easy day, I'll give y'all an easy day. Like, it's not going to be a, I'm going to come in here. This, this badge I have means I, I am the king of this pod. And no, I'm here to make sure y'all are, our, our three rules are care, custody, and control. As long as you're being taken care of, you know, you don't try to run away and y'all ain't acting like assholes then you know what? We're going to have a good day. I'm not going to come in here and rally y'all up and flip y'all cells and make y'all's life hell. There's no need in it because if I make y'all's life hell, y'all going to make my life hell and I'm not going to be working here much longer. So, you know, you know something tank, what I learned early on in my career, when it comes to the whole respect thing, dealing with gangsters, they're really big on respect. And it's the same thing in the prisons or the jails. Um, respect or at least make them think that you're respecting them to get answers and for them to open up to you and to talk to you because when you stop a fucking car full of assholes that are all gangsters you have to make them think that you're respecting them and it's a lot bigger in the hispanic um very uh, big gang in sets, the hispanic culture and they're like oh you're disrespecting me homes and fool and shit like that and you're like no but then i learned how to speak with these types of of uh, people and I was like and, and you come up and, and you act like you're respecting them when you're just trying to fish for answers and I, I have de-escalated situations from we're going to fight and throw down to hey I'm you know going through the whole respect thing make them think that I'm respecting them and then walk around the corner and everything is good to go and you know so that what you're learning now is going to be invaluable to you on the streets when you yeah. hit the streets um, as a deputy when you're dealing with 
criminals and things like that because you you make them think you're respecting them and you you may you may not be but regardless you're doing it as a tactic and but don't ever let your guard down with it though see i'll go you one better i will say that there's there's a there are different kinds of respect right there are people that i have worked with that i i have a level of professional respect for them that they are very good at their job and they know what the fuck they're doing. And when they speak, I listen, but I never want to have them over to my house to fucking break bread and drink beers ever. Right. I wouldn't want them to date my daughter. I wouldn't want them to, to watch over my family. If something happened to me, because I don't respect them personally, I I just have respect for the, uh, their ability to do the job. So there's also street respect, right? Like when you show up, to a party full of gangbangers and you understand that there's a hierarchy to their structure, to their gang, to their group. And you know, how hard is it to say somebody to somebody, Hey, Hey man, I just want, I just want to talk to you, brother. We're going to go over here. We're going to wrap. I'm going to put you out on front street, but, and I, but I know you are the guy to talk to. I know you're in charge. I, I just want to get the fuck out of your hair. Yeah. I got a job to do. You got a job to do. You want to party with your freaking with your set. I'm down with that. Just, you know, I told a b- group of kids, I'm like, listen, I'm here for a loud party call. Okay. I smell the weed and I smell the booze. And I'm sure if I started checking IDs, there'd be a bunga- bunch of underage people. But that wasn't the complaint. The complaint was that you guys are being too fucking loud. So turn down the music, shut the windows, hotbox this party like a fucking normal person, and I won't come back. But if I do come back, I'm going to start checking IDs. That was the respect of saying, look, I don't necessarily agree with what you're doing, but you're in the privacy of your own home. And if you guys shut the fuck up and don't make me come back out here, I'm cool with it. That's a street respect. I had something so similar, except I was fucking in fear, (laughs) fucking for my life. I was shaking so hard, but I wasn't, I wouldn't want him to know. It was a fucking, uh, uh, a black gang neighborhood working by myself, get dispatched to a fucking party call. Just like that. Yeah. Walk up to the party call. And I see a bunch of fucking like, um, white people inside, and I'm like, "Well, this is fucking odd." Like a lot, and they're like, they're bebopping and dancing. It was a drug party, and uh, this fucking gangster is at the door, working the door of the fucking shit whole house. And I'm like, "What the fuck?" So many guns, so many gangsters inside, sure. but I'm by myself, and I'm like, "Cool, like I play it cool, just like that." And that's this is where I learned, Tank, learn respect early on, and I fucking learned the uh, like. The fake respect, whatever you, because I, I, I really don't respect these fucking people. No, um, but that's personal but respect. It, you don't have to respect them exactly. as a person to respect the street. No, and I, and I, and I, you know, I come up with, and I acted like I was very respectful, like, hey, sir, you know, hey, what's going on? But then I let him know if I have to fucking come back here, it's not just me, and it's going to be my whole station because I know what's going on inside. So turn the fucking music down, or I'm coming back, but I'm coming back with my friends. And when I come back with my friends, I'm going to put you on the fucking ground, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to take everybody into custody, and we're going to search this house. And then what do you think we're going to find? Because I know those people don't belong down here. And he was like, no, I got you, dude. I got you. I was like, cool. So we had no problems. He's like, no, I was like, all right, cool. No, exactly. I don't want to hear no fucking music. And I left and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, dude, that goes huge. Mm-hmm. So like my first day on FTO, like, you know, I'm there never, never been in a jail before in my life. So I'm, I'm going into this blind. And that was, you my, didn't like take like, a tour of the jail or anything before you got hired. Well, we went to the academy and 
that I was, they were like, what are you most nervous about? I was like, I'm not so much as nervous about the inmates. I mean, yeah, if you, they tell you, you know, if you're not nervous walking in there, you know, you should probably quit because you're, you're complacent. But I've always told them like, why aren't you nervous? And I said, because I have a plan to, you know, be kind, courteous, respectful, but also have a plan to kill everybody in the room. Like right. I'm, if, if it comes down to it, I'm walking out of here. And if I lose my job, I lose my job, but I'm going home to my kids. Right. So my first day I walk in and I am like, I don't know the layout or anything. And my trainer meets with me. We go in 730. We pop the doors. They, all the inmates come out to the day room. And I'm watching this one guy and he's standing behind a pillar and he's standing right over another guy. And this dude looked like the leader from end of watch from the curbside gang. I mean, this big cholo looking dude, I'm tats everywhere. And he was, had short hair and I look and he's got a razor blade and he's shaving his head. And I'm like, do I say something right now? Because I'm going to have to go in there and do my rounds. And if I call him out on it and this is my first day, like it's going to be a hell of a first day. So I was like, you know what? I'll let him finish. So he ain't walking around with half his head shaved. I, as soon as I let him finish, I told my part, my trainer, I said, Hey, hey that dude's got a razor blade. She goes, how do you know? I said, I just looked up and I seen him shaving his head. And she goes, come here. He's like, yes, ma'am. She goes, where'd you get, give me that blade now. She goes, I found it on the floor. I, she goes, I don't care. Just give it to me. So a couple months in, I'm one of those people that are like, you know, if you're going to do something, do it out of the side of the camera, do it out of the side of me. Because if I see it and the camera sees it, I got to say something and I got to do a report because that's my, that's my job on the line. And I had a lady piercing another lady's ear and I walked in and I leaned down and I said, what are you doing? And she goes, uh, I was looking in her ear and I was like, no, you were piercing her ear. She goes, well, I mean, she won't. I said, look, if you're going to do it, go do it out of camera view. I said, so as far as I can tell, if this gets brought up, you were checking her ear because she had something in her ear. Oh, uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that in mind. I was like, I hope so. Cause I really do not like writing reports, but when I get on a report writing role, like I'll just, I'll start, I'll get real petty. Like no shirts on yeah. the day room. All right. Y'all are getting written up for group demonstration. And I don't want to make y'all's day harder. And I don't want my day to be harder. I come in here to do my 12 and, and go home. And right. it's, this isn't, I'm going to be here forever. I'm just doing this. I'm doing my time. Like y'all are doing y'all's time. Y'all are trying to get out in the free world. I'm trying to get over on patrol. It's, it's that simple. Yep. Now you and I exchanged uh, stories on direct message and yours included a picture and so I want to talk about uh, some of the nasty shit people do on the inside, because let me tell you, you don't think people do nasty shit. I mean, you know, yeah, they they throw poo like monkeys in the fucking zoo. Oh, yeah, they they like Matt has talked about like there isn't really rape in prisons as much because they have plenty of people that are willing to sell their ass for cigarettes or, you know, money or canteen privileges or favors or whatever the fuck. So they don't really have to rape you. If you get if you get freaking sodomized in prison against your will, it's usually a punishment, uh, which, you know, that's I mean, no, we're going to teach you a lesson. And we're going to fuck you in the ass. That's that's some jail logic right there. That's some prison logic. But uh, they still have needs <laughs> and they still do shit. And uh, one of the stories that I I told Tank here and uh, this leads into uh, his picture he sent me was uh 
our female inmates. And I, I, again, I didn't work the jail. I only got this from the guy who did work in the women's jail when I was booking somebody who goes, so they were all using their money, a group of them to go to the canteen and buy Jolly Ranchers. And then anybody who's actually had a Jolly Rancher knows it's really hard right at first. And then when you suck on it, it starts to get a little bit softer and you can get it to the point where you can actually like bend it and move it. Right. And so these gals were sucking on the Jolly Ranchers to get them to be pliable and sticky. And then they were uh, making a phallic sculpture out of used Jolly Ranchers that they could mold into a dildo. Penis. Yeah. So these mm-hmm. girls had mm-hmm. made a, a communal Jolly Rancher dildo. But he sent that? No, no, no. This was my story. Oh. And I said, you know, I, I talked to the guy and I said, these, these girls do some nasty shit. They made a dildo out of Jolly Ranchers that they shared. And I, I, can, I can only imagine how they cleaned it. Because if you clean it enough times, it disappears. Right? <laughs> so They don't clean it. Right? <laughs> but uh, you ended up telling me, go ahead. It, it, yours was a little bit more, I mean, I, I guess, I don't know. Bizarre, inventive, creative. I don't know. So we were with our containment team for basically it was like on the job training. We went in and did like sanitation. We would go into the single cells and tell them to, you know, empty out their trash and stuff like that. And our first day we met there, they had a table on the side of the room with a bunch of stuff on it. And like, I'm a, I'll change the oil in my truck and eat a sandwich with, with oily hands. But I looked at this stuff. And I was like, I just felt grossed out. I was like, what is this? And then he had, I had classmates touching stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I better not what? touch that. And we didn't have an instructor. In Without gloves? Time. Without gloves. They didn't know what it was. Yeah, and our instructor. The fuck? Bro, always put gloves on. Yeah. She, she walks in and she, she's talking and then she stops and she looks at the table and she goes, hey, did, did anybody touch anything on this table? And nobody raised their hand. She goes, look, you're not in trouble. I just need to know it's a matter of like health and safety. And so a few of my classmates raised their hand and she goes, go wash your hands. That stuff we pulled out of jail cells during cell searches. And I was like, wow. Okay. And she starts talking. She goes, wait, did anybody touch that blue thing? And she, and she's like, just be honest with me. And this one guy, he raised his hand and she goes, go wash your hands. Then put hand sanitizer on and go ahead and put some rubber gloves on it. Let that hand sanitizer just bake in there because right. I'm not going to tell you what that is, but we found that in a transgender person's cell. And the size of it is about as big as my forearm. It's a girthy thing. Yeah, it's basically like a, a balloon or, rubber, or glo- rubber gloves that have been cut up. And then stuffed. And what's it stuffed with? Can you tell? It's stuffed with like two. They said it's stuffed with like uh, panties and uh, bottles of soap. Oh, what the fuck? That went in his butthole, dude. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. He, I mean, where else is it going to go? He's having <laughs> for a while. That's disgusting. Yeah. So, That's so disgusting. jails are like, I mean, it's nasty. First of all, the people that go to jail, like, let's face it, a large percentage of the people that end up in jail are there for 
drug related offenses, uh, property crimes, you know, not everybody's a murderer. Not everybody is a frick, you know, committed assault with a deadly weapon. There's a lot of chicken shit crime that goes on. And the people that commit these chicken shit crimes aren't always the cleanest of individuals. Um, but we had a we had a guy one time, like I never noticed it when we do our rounds because we don't really unless they 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 stop and talk to us. It is you lean up by the door and talk to them. Other than that, you just walk by, look in the window, make sure they're not hanging, make sure they're okay, and move on. An inmate, I went in, and an inmate who was out on his hour was like, hey, I don't know what's going on, but that guy in B-cells, something's wrong. And so Mm -hmm. I went over, and as soon as I got maybe about 10 feet away, I could just smell the smell of shit. And all of my coworkers know, like, I'll stack up on a door and fight a dude who's got a freaking sharpened broomstick before I deal with anybody in shit. (laughs) i looked in and all over the floor shit all over his mouth and i'm like what the fuck yeah (laughs) shit on his mouth he wasn't all there like when i first saw it i thought it was like beans he had eaten and then someone goes refried beans yeah someone goes no he's he's shitting on the floor he's not mentally there so i had to pull him out give him an extra change of clothes, send him to the shower. And I'm like, since COVID, they put two tanks on our, on the female floor, which are male tanks. Well, all of our floor workers, that's what we call our trustees. They're all female and they're not allowed to go in there for security reasons. Yeah. You think we can't, we have no male floor workers to come and clean that up. I had one inmate, young guy, I don't remember what he was in for, but I mean, he was just the nicest young black guy ever. Like, I mean, he looked, if you looked at him, he looked like he'd snap your neck. But he asked me one day, like, hey, can I get a book? And I said, I'll see if I can find you one. Well, I ended up doing a cell search, finding him a book. He's like, dude, thank you. I, I appreciate this so much. Well, he came up and he goes, hey, man, if you want, I'll go clean that cell out for you. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. I said, dude, I will get you a change of clothes, trash bags to put on your on your legs. I, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll make your stay here as comfortable as it is if you go clean that up for me. He goes, yeah, no problem. He spent four hours in there cleaning that cell for me. So, you know, I, I while he was in that isolation tank, I hooked him up with extra trays just for being a decent human being. And it got to the point where the next day we let him out for his hour. Same shit again. And I had to tell my sergeant, I was like, I don't know what to do because I can't keep giving him clothes every day. I can't personally babysit him. Because I have 48 other inmates I got to sit on too. And if I got to babysit him, that's going to tie up most of my day. So we ended up getting him moved out. But you're talking about disgusting. We went and did a cell search on the our female lockdown tank, which double door lockdown. We go in, split up into two teams, and get uh, – I'm upstairs with two other coworkers. We pop a door and he goes to pick up a trash bag in there after I pulled the inmate out. And she goes, you can't throw that away. That's what I'm putting my tampons in. And he goes, no, man. He goes, no, I'm keeping that bag. And he goes, like hell you are. At that point, I'm standing outside with the inmate. I look over to see her reach up into her shorts towards her crotch. 
Mm. And the only thing I could think of was, I better get these cuffs out real quick and get out of her line of fire. Mm. So I put one oh, cuff here, have this, and all. It was like a movie. It was slow motion, and that. And today, everybody on the floor calls this story the red rocket story because she took it, and I just see this little red rocket looking thing just go flying right at his arm and it hits it, it's in slow motion and it hits his arm and it bounces on the floor and he's he's like are you like did this really just happen like right did did i see what happened it was horrible like i'm talking i took a shower i took a four-hour shower after that like i scrubbed all of my skin off like so it was where, like as a human gross. being if i had seen that happen right let's let, let's play this out so so if I'm supervising this whole shenanigans and this nasty ass chick pulls her tampon out and flings it at somebody and it hits them and they haul off and slap her for throwing her nasty ass tampon at me. And the supervisor comes to me and is like, Hey, um, did he slap, slap her? I'm like, I, I didn't, I, my, my attention was diverted elsewhere, sir. I, I couldn't tell you. That's a biological attack. Yeah. You can punch in that. Fuck that I'm... punch right in the face. Fuck you. <laughs> and the thing of it was is our sergeant was there and she was she was right on top of us when it happened. And she's the kind of sergeant that I would I would follow her into hell with gasoline soaked shorts. I mean, she is a no nonsense, came from the male floor. She's uh when she would go do counts, she would strap a MK nine fogger on her leg and walk in there like she owned the place. And she's the nicest person ever, but when it comes to messing with her DOs, she does not put up with it. She's she's just I don't know, she's one of a kind. And it's it's good to see that I have higher ups that'll back me up like that. Oh, of course. It may, it gives you like, confidence to be able to do your job. It makes like a world of difference. One time yeah. And they uh I sent y'all a news article because I can't talk about it, but that big thing I sent with one of our sergeants yeah, at the it. Grill, it uh, I went into my pod. This is my, my second week of FTO. When after I responded to that, and I went into my pod and I said, "Look, guys, I said if you are going to fight, today's not the day to fight because there is a every gold badge in this building is up here. There is a ton of deputies." I said, "This is not the time to fight." Five minutes later, inmate inmate fight a pod. So I take off. Well, I'm walking down the hall, gloving up, and I see this captain walking towards me, and he's 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 built like a brick shit house, and he goes. Oh, we're putting gloves on. That's what we're doing. Okay. So he pulls his gloves out, starts putting his gloves on. I'm like, oh, okay. So we get to the door, stack up on it. And there is nobody else except me and this captain. And I look back and he's, you know, jumping, getting himself pumped up. I said, you want to go first? He goes, can I? I said, have at it, cowboy. He goes, pop the door. Pops the first door, pops the second door, goes in there. And these guys are just getting after it. He walks in there and just pins one to the ground, pulls him out, throws him to me. Get him out of here. Yep. Throws him out, throws the second one out. We come walking out, and he's like, "That's how you do it." And I was like, "You know, it's really good to see that my higher ups are willing to throw down with me." And, I'm gonna uh, treat you gave, how you're gonna act. He I've never once seen that. Card. He gave me his business card and said, "Thank you for making my year." And if y'all have another fight, give it. Go ahead, give me a call. I'll come down here. I don't get out of the office much. I was like, <laughs> right, Dude, that's, that's awesome. Cool. That's cool. Yeah. One of the reasons I don't fit in in corporate America is I I have no problems reminding people. I go, you know. My last job, I used to get to, you know, fight people for a living. If somebody was giving me a hard time, give me a bad day, I'd just, you know, be like, oh, is that you want to go like take a swing, 
That's that's the day we'll have. You could choose violence and I'll be more than happy to oblige you. And I haven't done that in a while. So, you know, if anybody here decides they want to choose violence, I'm ready. (laughs) That doesn't go over well in corporate America, but it does go over well in the jail. The the thing is with my size, that first piece of force I got into, the girl was about uh, five foot five, 100 pounds. And when you look on camera, I'm towering over her because I'm I'm six two, two sixty. 260. And yeah, tank that would make sense. Everybody is telling me you should have hit her. She would, she could have scratched your eye. And I was like, how would that look in court? I couldn't say I was in fear for my life because I'm, I'm towering over this woman. And yeah, it's not have the confidence in your abilities to handle things the right way sometimes. And, and, and th- I'll tell you what, the fact that we don't stress people out in the Academy, the fact that we don't, uh, well, some agencies don't, the fact that we don't make them get into fights, the fact that we don't teach them, like how to get take a punch and still you know go at, go after somebody and, and handle your business. This level of fear. It's why so many cops nowadays are pushing for patrol officers to go and pursue martial arts, specifically martial arts like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, in their off time, because you learn how to get into a fight and survive. You learn how to take a punch. You learn how to take. A, you learn how to dominate somebody physically while still suffering through some pain and knowing you're going to come out on the other side. Our physical, uh, uh, our PE and our defensive tactics instructor in the academy said, every one of you is going to get punched in the face by the time you're done here. If I have to do it myself, he says, every one of you has to get punched in the face to know that you're going to get punched. You're going to be okay. You can fight through it and you can come out on top. And so to hear you talk about that tank at six, two, two sixty, and she's five, five. You're right. Like it doesn't, there's literally almost nothing short of a gun or a knife that this girl could have and do that. You wouldn't be able to literally, the term is manhandled, right? My wife talks about this all the time. She's my wife's not small. But she's, you know, she's average size for a gal. And I'm I'm only average size for a guy. I'm six foot, you know, 200 pounds. But she talks about it all the time. She goes, I can't imagine if you wanted to hurt me, like you would be able to throw me across the room, beat my, like all of that stuff. But what I know and what I love is that I can trust that you won't unless I need you to do it for me to someone else. And to be a cop or to be a correction officer or to be a deputy and to know, hey, I can destroy you at any time. I don't have to. I am going to do what I need to do. And, hey, take a slap in the face and laugh it off. Be like, that's cute. Mm, You want to try it again? Because, you know, I'm just going to stomp your face in the dirt. You know, you don't have to be scared of a slap in the face from a five foot five woman. You take the slap in the face and laugh it off and then rat pack her ass, you know, like I, I totally get what you're saying. And I'm glad to hear that there are still people coming up in the ranks that understand it's okay to get into a fight. And it's also okay to say, what am I going to do as a six foot two man? I'm going to justify punching a five foot five woman for no reason other than she was acting like an ass. So we have we have this one inmate. Her I don't know what her real name is, but they call her Champagne. The best way to describe her is, ladies and gentlemen, coming to the stage, Champagne. <laughs> she's the female version of John Coffee. 
from the Green Mile. Okay. Like Gentle Giant. I, I looked up to her. Like she came up to me when I was feeding Chow for my first time in her pod. And I go, I all I hear is, Hey boss, can I have a second? And I like, what? And I look and I looked up. I said, Look, lady, you can have three. Just don't hit me because if you hit me, I gotta use everything on this belt and probably call a deputy from downstairs to bring a shotgun to stop you. Mm-hmm. And about a week later, they got into a use of force with her, and it took nine officers to get her placed in cup. You know, I was like, tank, hey, God, that was my off day. One of the uh, hardest times to get someone in custody was a female, mm-hmm. and she was the smallest female I've ever fucking seen in my life. She was high on meth. Um, I figured she would have been real easy, and I came in kind of like green behind the ears, and you know. You know, I was real young on the job and saw her and I was like, I got this. I couldn't get her into cuffs by myself. I wasn't struggling holding her hands behind her back and I couldn't touch her palms together. And I was probably getting maybe right next to her hips behind her back. And I was like, I'm going to snap her arms. I'm going to fucking snap her arms. Like she was the strongest female I have ever come in contact with, you know, and it opened my eyes to it doesn't matter who the fuck you're fighting. Anyone can be strong and anyone can have mm-hmm. crazy strength. It's how bad they don't want to be in custody or go to jail. Also, it depends on what drugs they are on. And we all know that you can get drugs inside of a jail very fucking easily, just like you can get jail or uh, drugs inside of a prison very easily. Right. In fact, it's easier to get drugs inside of a prison or um, oh, yeah. uh, some sort of jail because then it is on the streets. It's re- more readily available. Oh, yeah. It's identifiable. You talk to that guy. He talks to that. You, you just know. So, I mean, but I've said this before, Chuck, are, but you, you know, I've said this before. Anybody who thinks that taking a woman into custody or an old person into custody or whatever, a smaller person into custody, anyone taking anyone into custody, all you got to do is try holding a cat that doesn't want to be picked up. And you will learn yeah. real quick that it doesn't fucking matter how big you are. If somebody doesn't want to be taken into custody, they're going to fight like a fucking badger to make sure they don't. And I have a tendency that, like, if I have an issue with an inmate in a pod, I'll go in there. And if I know, like, if I'm having a bad day or I'm stressed out and I know if I get into a fight, it's going to end real bad. I'll tell them, look, you got two options. You can walk out and go to the holding cell and cool off and I'll put you back in here. No write up. Just go and cool off or I'll assist you out of here. And it's not going to be fun. Nine times out of the day for that shit. They pick the day just to walk out and go. You know, what's funny is that I use that same line because I'm a bigger dude. And um, I'll straight look at people and go, you got two options. This can go the easy way or the hard way. Option one being the easy way. You fucking walk yourself into cuffs. You go back into the car. Two, you buck on me. You fight. You tense up. You're going to the ground. You're going to get hurt. And you're probably going to leave in an ambulance. Or you're going to have to go to the fucking hospital in the back of my car. Or it's just going to be uncomfortable. It's up to you on which way you go. I'm good with either one. You let me know which way you go. and, And I'll help you. But. I can tell you this, you choose option two, I'm ready for you and we're going to have some fun and you're going to get hurt because it's not just me you're going to fight, you're going to fight all my friends who are going to come because I'm going to put that help call out and you're going to be in a world of pain before they get yeah. here. I fucking guarantee I don't fight if fair. you aren't, then you will be. And no. they're like, all right, I'll take option one. And it works. It works. For, okay, so... Where 60% at, of the it time works, it works 100% of the about time 90% of the time there'll be that 10% where they're like yeah. fuck you and you're like fuck you I want to go but okay. they would have going to go anyway 
They, yeah, but they were going to go anyway. And, you know, honestly, and those guys, the moment you put fucking hands on them, they melt like a little bitch. I a mean, lot of times, yeah. there's that 1% that don't. I mean, we had one where the guy was like, fuck you, fuck you, kept running from us. And then finally, uh, we had all units in place on a perimeter and I had a helicopter up overhead. Helicopter said, hey, I told the helicopter, hey, can you broadcast for me? And he goes, yeah. I said, all right, because I'm not going to be talking on the radio. And he goes, all right, I got you. Fucking unasked the car, caught the dude off by surprise. And he was motherfucking me the whole time going, let's go, let's go, let's go. And he was a felony, felony wanted suspect. And I took off after him, burned my fucking boot. Took off after him. He tried jumping through a fucking window, screamed when he found out I was chasing him because he's like, oh, shit, this cop means business. I fucking picked that dude up and slammed him into the fucking ground so goddamn yeah. hard because he was running from me. And I and he had just he just held knives to his his mom up to her neck, two fucking kitchen knives. And so he was wanted for 80, saw the deadly weapon um, and a bunch of slew of other things. And uh, the dude started fighting as soon as I got him. And then the moment he found that I was, I knew what the fuck I was doing. He stopped and just started screaming and then it was over. But the, it's just funny that they talk a big game until you're yeah. like, Oh, I'm fucking ready. Let's go. And they see that smile on your face and you're like, this is what I get paid for. Right. So I'll, I'm going to tag up on that a little bit. Cause I, I, I totally know what you're talking about, Chuck. And, and I want to explain to our younger audience, to the guys that are maybe new in law enforcement or, or just, thinking about getting into law enforcement or something, there is uh, the first level of force that they always teach, at least they used to, is command presence, right? You show up and you should already be in charge just by the fact that you fucking showed up, right? There are some guys and girls who they give off a lack of confidence. They give off the vibe of they're scared. They give off the vibe, whatever it is, and let me tell you, anybody that's been around the system, been in jail, been part of a gang, they don't even have to have gone to jail. They could just be part of a gang. But having been around no shit, no nonsense people who are willing to do it and not talk about it, they understand the look, right? That look in your eyes that says, I fucking mean business. And they can tell when you have it and when you don't. So understand the difference between a threat and a fact. If I told somebody, hey, you're going to jail tonight, whether you stop by the hospital or not is up to you, but you're going to jail and I'm going home at the end of my shift. That's not a threat. I'm not threatening. Them. Promise. I'm just telling them this is what's going to happen. It is a fact of life. It is an yeah. unavoidable fact of life. If you treat it like a threat and you try and say it to get them to back down, they're going to sense it. But if you say it because you're going to fucking do it, they can sense that, too. And I'll the reason I, can, I this is the story I was going to tag up with you, Chuck, is I was in the jail and we had a detention facility at our station so we could take people there, do the pre-booking, do whatever we needed to do. Da, 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 da. But we couldn't hold them there for long periods of time. So I took this young kid in him and his buddy. They were arrested. Doesn't matter what for. But one of them was, you know, young, dumb and full of anger. Right. Instead of the other thing. And I'm standing behind the glass. Now in our jail, like every jail, you got to take your weapons off. Right. So I, I was unarmed. Right. My belt was still on, but I was unarmed. And I'm in the jail filling up paperwork. My partner is standing next to me. He shall remain nameless because I don't want to get him in trouble for this story. And this piece of shit sitting on the bench handcuffed to it on the other side of the glass, as you do. 
And he's motherfucking me up one side and down the other. Fuck you, motherfucker. If you weren't on the other side of that glass, I'll kick your fucking ass. If I wasn't handcuffed to this bench, I'd beat the fuck out of you. And you're such a pussy. All that shit, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. So I took my belt off, set it on the desk of the booking office, walked around the glass, unhandcuffed him from the bench, and stood there with my arms crossed staring at him. And he realized that all of his threats about if there wasn't this glass and I wasn't handcuffed to this bench, I'd beat the shit out of you. So there wasn't any more glass and he wasn't handcuffed to the bench. And I just stared at him. And after about 30 seconds of silence, I looked at him and said, well. And he goes, oh, man, I'm, I'm fucked up. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm just I'm just talking shit. I'm this, that and the other thing. I, I'm not. Gonna, fuck. I'm sorry. So I handcuffed him to the bench and put my belt on. The second I handcuffed him to the bench and put my belt on, I walked away. My partner walked over, and I could hear what my partner did. My partner leans down and goes, it's a good thing you apologized because he was going to kick the fucking shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's another, there's another part to, to um, that command presence. It's also the way your uniform looks. And me being from the Marine Corps, yep. that's very important to me. And you look like a soup sandwich, you're going to get in more fights. People are going to yep. try to walk all over you, regardless of if they can or not. And so I start early on, fucking pressed to the nine, fucking yeah. shine boots, shine badge, shine everything. And I was like, fuck yeah. And I wasn't getting into use of forces like all my other counterparts when I was on probation. And then when I made myself out to my division or my the area I was working and with all yeah. the, you know, fucking guys. And, and I was like, man, what the fuck? And I stopped and talked to this one gangster one night that uh, tried to run from me, then stopped and just gave up. And I hooked him up and I was like, Hey, why don't you just keep running? He goes, man, I looked to one look at you. And I was like, fuck, you're going to catch me. You're going to beat the fuck out of me. And I was like, yeah, you're, you're probably fucking right. And he's like, I'm like, cool, cool. We had a great conversation. He was a straight asshole, but we had right. a really good conversation. Young, young buck and, and stuff like that. And then I started getting out years on and I'm like, fuck man, everyone else is getting into more fights than me. What, what is going on? And I'm like, I feel like I'm not experiencing the life of a police officer because generally nine times out of 10, People go with the program because I have my shit straight. I have good command presence. And this is not to set a super sound, super fucking. Scene, no, no, no. But you're it's, right. it's not. And I was like, fuck it. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start to fuck my uniform up on purpose. So I did. And I was like, I want to see if this shit's true. And I, so I started dressing. I started fucking myself up soup sandwich style. Like, but I couldn't go all the way. Right. But I started noticing just a little bit. People started talking shit more. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Started getting into fights more. So that's another thing. Like strong command presence is the way you look. You're, and it's a good officer safety thing. And now, granted, I was like, man, I was just upset. I wasn't getting enough fights. So I fucked my appearance up on purpose. Got into way more use of forces. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to that's enough. And then so I pressed my shit. And then it just people, I, I'd rather be safer than get into a fuck ton of fights, <laughs> you know, even though I like it. But then after a while where I worked, it didn't matter what you look like. People were fighting you all the time. And I'm sure like you, Tank, you get into a fucking use of force and you're going to jack that dude up. And for where I work, you have good leadership, which is awesome. And that makes you love your job. You want to continue to do your job. There's agencies out there that don't have your fucking back. And so you get into a use of force and you go you go hard because you want to protect yourself you're going to go hard because you're a bigger dude and whatever, and you're going to put them the fuck down real quick to reduce uh, officer incident, um, officer injury and shit like that, and, and, and to protect everybody else. 
But then people start to look at it and command places that don't back their officers. And they're like, mm, risk mm-hmm. management issue. And they're like, man, that's a problem I had. But it sounds like you have a great department. I want to tag up on that because that is amazing. And that is not like a lot of agencies yeah. out there. You should you very, very much be lucky. appreciative of yes, that sergeant and that captain. To have well, like, leadership also, like that. You need to make that captain your rabbi, dude. You need to like, like if if you can make that captain your rabbi, he will very much mentor you Networking. through your career. Very and much, brother. So you're talking about command presence. Like when I got my like when I got hired, I had to go down to the uniform supply, pick up my uniforms, take them to to Gauls, get my patches sewn on. As soon as I left there, I dropped them off at the cleaners. So my first day at the academy, my patches were creased. I looked I looked sharp, and my instructor came up to me and goes. Looked around the class, looked at me and goes, if I don't see everybody's uniforms pressed like his, like we're going to run tomorrow. So it was about four days of running. Then everybody got on the wagon. But my girlfriend, I swear to God, God bless her. I love her. But and Kendall, if you listen to this, take note. I. She calls me bougie because I wash my uniform separate. I pull them out. I run them down with a lint brush, and yeah. then I spend about thirty minutes ironing all my uniforms. Good. And That's called it, saving I your life. On that, and I said because I've heard stories of people wanting to fight, and an officer pulls up and they're squared away, and they're like, "No, that guy, that guy's that guy fucked me up." Yeah, he, he, my he, wife said, knows. I didn't let her iron my uniforms because she didn't do a good enough job. My, my girlfriend didn't have an iron. I had to buy her one. Yeah. Well. Well, Tank, I appreciate you coming on the show. I wanted to, obviously, we let our guests dedicate their episode to uh, anyone they'd like, one of our brother, sister, veteran, cop, firefighter, whoever that's uh, lost their life in the line of duty. We've had some pretty interesting uh, takes on that, but uh, I understand you have somebody you want to dedicate your episode to. Go ahead. As uh, Corporal Charles Galloway, Galloway, I mean, from Precinct uh, 5, he was uh, doing a traffic stop a couple months ago. Pulled over a vehicle. The dude got out with a rifle and just lit his window up before he could even get out. And uh, they ended up having to uh, pick that that suspect up in Mexico. He fled. He fled the border. He fled to down, down to the yeah, border. Yeah, I read about and, that uh, one. Yeah, wow. it was it was a uh, pretty nasty. Well, Corporal Galloway, rest easy, brother. We got it from here. Chuck, do you have anything as we as we end out? Yeah, I was just gonna but to bring that up. So if you head on over to our our. Um, our website, you can pick up some Wubby hoodies. You can pick up a shirt. You can pick up some patches. Um, we have two different types of patches. We got a uh, embroidered and we have a PVC patch. Plus we got two badass stickers. And if you order anything, I do throw in surprises into those orders every single time. So if you order one thing, you will get two things. And I make that, a, uh, I make that a point to do it. And I think people are starting to take notice and um, I'm not going to hint at what I throw in there because if you order, you'll find out. So order some stuff, find out. It really helps support us. Um, follow us on Instagram, war, um, Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is war stories or war underscore stories underscore official. Go find us. Click the link in the bio. You can get to all of our socials, our YouTube, um, our Facebook, our website. Check all that out. Also, we have... Um, facebook and we got a bunch of other good stuff on there it has a link in the bio click that if you want to come on the show and you have a, a story that you really think that is is worthy of our show click the link in the bio or go to booking.warstories at gmail.com again that is booking 
www.warstories at gmail.com. And uh, send me your info there. I'll contact you. I'll either call you if you leave your contact info or we'll communicate through email and we'll go over um, what your story is. Yep. Tank, we appreciate you coming on, brother. You're welcome back, especially once you get out on patrol and you got some you got some patrol stories. But also, you know, we want correction stories or if you've got anybody that wants to come on the show, please let us know and uh, we'll be happy to talk to them. Uh, we've got some cool things in the works. I'm, uh, actually getting off the podcast right now to call a fire chief. So we've, we, you know, we've had some pretty high ranking cops. This would be the highest ranking firefighter we've ever had. We work for several agencies and, uh, he's a friend of my father's. So that should tell you how, uh, old school this, this fire chief is. So we're looking forward to that. I'm going to set that up and have him get a hold of Chuck again at booking.warstories at gmail.com. <laughs> Again, that is booking.warstories at gmail.com. Yeah, we don't give out that address because we <laughs> like it. We give out that address because people still send us messages saying, hey, uh, how do I come on the show? So, yeah, booking.warstories at gmail.com. Yeah, please, you it helps episode. us out. And I will get back to you immediately. Believe yeah. me, I have my, my phone in my hand all the time. I check it three times, four times yes. a day. And I'm constantly getting back to people. And... um I'm gonna actually gonna have to delete it and then restart it all the conversations because <laughs> yeah, there's exactly. just so many, so many. So, so until our next episode, come home with your shield or on it. <laughs>